amazingly creating VR social spaces is one of the things that I am particularly interested in. You'd never guess. It turns out I was born to to run parties without having to tidy up the house, either before or afterwards. Hello everyone and welcome to the very seventh episode of Octothorpe, a podcast about science fiction and science fiction fandom. We are sponsored this week by Stow Shirts. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. For those listeners who are reading the news and Twitter and Facebook and sort of generally staying up to date, um, there have been widespread protests against police brutality and the treatment of black people in the United States of America uh, for most of the last week. Here at Octothorpe, we are aware that a lot of you may be listening to us to get away from the terrible and awful news happening out there in the wider world. But equally, we as a trio feel quite strongly about social justice and we are very much standing with the protesters as we are all white we are not necessarily the best people to tell you where to go to educate yourself so if the listeners of octothorpe have any suggestions for literature or for places to donate money then please send us locks and tell us where we can donate money and what we can recommend to our listeners in order to help them educate themselves about everything that's happening at the moment if you want to start educating yourself about black writers of speculative fiction, you could go and look at Fire magazine and we'll put a link in the show notes to that. Too. And there's also the Black Spec Fic Report, which reports on uh, kind of the state of the industry. The writer survey, I think, is quite American centric. Uh, I'm not sure about the contributors to Fire Mag, but I believe it is based in the USA. So if anyone knows of any equivalent initiatives in the UK I'd like to hear about them and I should say I've had a couple of people as always happens when there's anything trending getting in touch with me and saying have you made this badge or this t-shirt or this thing and I would suggest that you should go and get your protest gear from black and minority ethnic owned businesses In letter of comment news, we had a conversation of comment with Lillian Edwards at the first Thursday pub meeting in which she told us that Ian Sorensen says that my microphone is better now, which is true. It is. Hurrah. Last time we recorded was in the middle of Balticon, which was being held virtually. Um, it is the Baltimore SF Group's convention. It's held every year. And they did a variety of programming and social spaces on the internet. Uh, and we decided not to talk about it last week because it was still happening. But did what did we think of Balticon? Did we go to Balticon? Liz, it's rather in the wrong time zone for you, I understand. Yes, really everything is in the wrong time zone for me, but see, many, many podcasts previous for me complaining about this. So <laughs> I didn't. It's like I keep meaning to go to things, but it's one that they're in the wrong time zone, but also that every time there is a convention, I have to then work out what is its local time zone and how does that compare to my time zone and what time actually is it? And usually I never get to the third stage. So 
I have to say one thing I would implore virtual conventions to do is to maybe put somewhere in small letters their time in like UTC or something just to make it easy for us all to work out what time it would be in our own time zone. That is a good idea, actually. That should be a thing that happens. Um, I'm sure people from Con Zealand are listening to this podcast. I am not sure people from Con Zealand are listening to this <laughs> podcast. I was intending to spend quite a lot of my weekend at those conventions, um, both at Wiscon and Balticon, and it mostly didn't happen, and I'm not entirely sure why not. I kind of dropped into the discords a bit, and they were fine, but I never found, like, the buzzing Zoom party of my dreams or anything of that kind, and I didn't go to any program items because I have a problem with my life at the moment which is that for all the time locked down and can't do any of the things I would normally do I am incredibly busy all the time I have no idea how this has happened but it clearly has happened and I'm I'm surrounded by things I should be doing all of the time um, yes and so I didn't get to a lot of it um I did talk a little I, I understand that Balticon was an enormous success and I talked a little bit to um some people who had had a good time, and they really liked lots of things about the way that it worked. My wife, Espania, um, also attended Balticon, and she wrote a very excellent blog post about it. And she basically sent me a text message saying, I didn't lock, but here's a blog post. So I will um, include a link to the blog post in the show notes, and you can go and read her thoughts on everything. Espania did an awful lot of socialising on Discord in the text chat, so she had quite a different um, opinion of it than me and Alison did, um, which is interesting. She, I think, thought it worked very well, but she also went to some of the Zoom parties and she thought that that was, um, that was good. Um, right. And I also talked to the Glasgow in 2024 um, team who said, it was a lot of fun, but not very many people came to our room party, so we're now worried about room parties at con zealand and will you run them all and i said no i would not run them all but i will run one and they said it won't be very difficult because only a very few people will come and i'm like not if i'm running it so i'm telling you now i'm going to have an awesome and enormous room party at con zealand and it will be timed at like i don't know eight o'clock in the morning uk time but you know just day drinking it's the best I will say that the problem I think the Glasgow in 2024 room party at Balticon had was that I did not know it was on, so I did not attend. And I feel, as someone who is a pre-supporter of Glasgow in 2024 and man who was at Balticon, I perhaps should be in the middle of the Venn diagram of people who heard about this room party. So I do think there might have been a slight problem with the communication there, because I would have been there with bells on had I realised it was happening. I think you had to look look down a long chain of information on Discord to find the Discord channel that was Glasgow in 2024 and then go to that. And I think there was an issue with multiple nested Discords, possibly rather too many of them. I think... But I think part of the problem is that like, I don't know why they didn't advertise it on the Glasgow in 2024 mailing list, for instance, which I subscribe to. Yeah, if it's a virtual thing that anyone can come to you can make it buzzing by advertising it on your mailing list and then people will come. Um, I do think that there should have been, and I don't know if there was, I suppose I could double check as we record, there should have been like a room party slash uh, social um, 
notice board equivalent on the Balticon uh, Discord. If there was one of those, I'm not sure I really uh, noticed it, but that probably should have been like quite prominent. Um, I will say, so I went to Balticon. I did not go to any Zoom parties because they all started after I went to bed. Um, and I am some sort of lame person who goes to bed before 2 a.m. Uh, but I will say that, generally speaking, I enjoyed the panels I went to. I went to three or four panels. I went to a panel on Star Wars, the end of the saga, which I thought was going to be a super great panel, like looking at the nine part thing and like how it went and what they should have done differently and what they could take away and actually devolved into people just talking about their favorite parts from Empire Strikes Back, which if I'm honest, wasn't quite the angle I wanted from the panel and I eventually gave up. I do wish that panellists would read the panel description. Like, it's my biggest bugbear. Just, guys, there's, there's a description of what the panel's about. Please discuss that, because that's why I clicked. Um, the other two that I went to were both on uh, tabletop games, and they were actually really, really, really good. Um, I really enjoyed the way that the Zoom kind of webinar mode lets you ask questions and stuff, and then people from those panels were hanging out in the Discord uh, text chat after the panels and you got to talk to them a bit more there and you also got to see people talking about other gaming panels you might not have been to uh, and that actually worked really well so i think i think from my perspective i kind of mostly ignored the dealer's room the artist sally and the fan tables on the discord but the little gaming segment with the different um channels worked quite well i think next time i would probably um i would probably advise condensing the discord channels for the dealers and artists and fan tables a little bit because i think there was just way too much variety there um but i can see why they did that but i'm not sure it was what they should have done um but i think these things will be things that we get better at over time and i think balticon is the first place i've seen do this with what i would say was quite a high level of success so um i i thought it was quite good i was quite encouraged i will say harking back uh several minutes at this point Glasgow in 2024 did put it on their Twitter feed and I wonder if they're trying to do the sort of thing where they keep their mailing list low volume announcements and announce things like an upcoming party in two days on their Twitter feed so that might be part of the issue. Okay, so so Twitter's a terrible way to announce anything unless yes, you exactly. announce it every half hour. For because how people use Twitter is that when they're on Twitter, they dip in and a Twitter stream rushes past them. Nobody's actually reading everything that the nine thousand people they follow um, posts every single time. It's it's even worse than Facebook for that. Um, and at least if you put something on Facebook and lots of people say they are going, then eventually Facebook will go. Oh yes, that's an event I should probably show you. Well, and the other thing is that I like the Glasgow in 2024 page on Facebook. So if they had made it into a Facebook event, presumably they could have invited me and I would have seen it that way. But I will agree that Twitter is great and I think it's very good for many things. But the thing I think it's absolutely awful for is announcements because, as as Alison just said, like the algorithm means that I don't see posts in the order they were published anyway. And if Twitter doesn't show me that tweet, then I... I, there's no way for me to see it and the thing i love about mailing lists is that when someone sends me an email i read the email and that is a a one-to-one correspondence which which facebook and twitter are sadly algorithmically eroding uh which i can and i fully understand why they're doing that but it does it frustrates me when stuff is announced on twitter and i'm like but i never could have seen that 
Because I have run mailing lists, I now know that when you used to send things to people in the post, you never really understood how many people were reading them. But when you email people, you do learn how many people are reading them because MailChimp or whatever you're using will give you a read read percentage. And if you're doing well, that read percentage is somewhere in the margin, in the order, like a a convention mail out will probably get a 40% open rate. And that's the reason why conventions are kind of going we'll mail you less we'll we'll not use the mailing list as a, people just aren't reading their email no I, and i yeah and i understand i do think it's probably better not to pepper people with emails so i do i understand the tensions but what you actually do to announce things is you have multiple channels you get in touch with the people that you want to be at your fantastic buzzing party and say will you be there and they go yes of course i wouldn't miss it for the world and you go can you tell all your friends on your podcast or whatever yeah and you actually you know it's like any any other event would be that you do have to market things a little bit more aggressively than just sticking up your hands saying we are running a room party at at Balticon and of course you busy people all over the world who are overwhelmed by the amount of stuff you have to do um on the internet at the moment will immediately think of our party as being the first thing that you want to do it, it's become clear that that in fact facebook marketing for conventions is quite effective at has been effective at pulling in people who would not habitually have gone to the eastercon the eastercon the makeup of the eastercon has changed extremely dramatically over the last 5 years and although luncon gets some of the credit for that it's also the fact that we accidentally reached out to a broader community um by just doing very basic social media stuff um and and also by the people who go talking about it and and raising buzz for it um and i don't see any reason why you can't do that with the online conventions as well you just have to make sure that you've got a a value proposition that is compelling at times when people have a lot of other things on their plate On the topic of value propositions, Conzealand have announced that they are also going to use a mixture of Zoom and Discord to run their convention. And one question we had when we read this is, what is the value proposition of this, given that Balticon has done this seemingly free at the point of use? So, um, Alison, did you want to start talking about this and then me and Liz can jump in with our excellent opinions? I wanted to 100% make clear that I am pontificating from a complete state of ignorance here. And I wanted to say that I guess that Balticon probably wasn't free, um, that they will have had their convention that doesn't that runs every year so they will have things like a corporate structure and a bank account and a set of and and they would have been able to put some money into this in the knowledge that they will have um future physical conventions in a way that conventions that only run once like a world con may not be able to so it is possible that it was not as free as all of that um these will all be tied together with a single sign-in point for authentication. So so I feel like Conzealand is planning to wall off its garden. And I, I guess that Balticon, because it was free, didn't need to wall off its garden. And I, I my guess is that the, 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 the process of saying only Conzealand only members are going to be inside the loop here will make this more expensive. Uh, 
Um, and if you can spot the flaw in that reasoning. I think you're right. I think that Balticon almost certainly, as a continuing convention, has a reserve that they can probably call upon because they are an established organization that has been going for a while and will have a continuity. The disadvantage in this sense that Worldcons have is that each Worldcon, for those who don't know, is a separate organization. Uh, and so there is no um, continuity in the amount of, of money on the organization that you have available to you other than what other world cons have been able to donate to you. And I don't know how much Dublin did in donating to Zealand, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was relatively low because I suspect Dublin spent quite a lot of money on running their convention. And so it might well be that this is mostly driven by the fact that Balticon might have a source of stability that Conzelan doesn't. And so it might well be a slightly unfair comparison to make in some ways. If you look at the Eastercon, Eastercons pass along money between Eastercons. And these pass-alongs can often be quite large um, compared to the relatively small budget of an Eastercon. Um and and they've been getting bigger. Um, and we intended when running Follycon to reduce the size of the pass along deliberately because we thought they were slightly too large. Um, but we we did end up passing along quite a lot of money. And we will use, I think, it is likely that most of that money is going to get used up dealing with this year's Eastercon, refunding where it needed to and the incurring the expenses it couldn't get out of. And then next year's Eastercon coping with what is likely to be a very disrupted Eastercon for a number of ways. And I would suspect that between those two, we will probably not have very much pass along at all left at the end of it. Um, so it's kind of like, oh, yes, Eastercon has been saving for a rainy day. And that is a thing that that it's done now. I, I imagine that Zealand has an enormous amount of incurred expenses that it cannot get out of. I think there's also one extra aspect that Conzelan will have to deal with. I think Balticon, in a way, could have sort of open Zoom and open Discord and largely fly under the radar. And I didn't hear anything about any problems they had. But I think a Worldcon is a much more visible entity. And also the Worldcon has had problems in the past. Well, you know, Worldcon is a higher profile thing and it has, uh, you know, had... Uh, the whole thing with the puppies and the Hugo nominations. And it's possible they also feel that, A, they need to be a little bit more of a walled garden and to put some effort into making sure that no one disrupts their higher profile event. And also into more people points to do uh, moderation and to try and keep things as safe as possible um, for everyone when they do have the event, just because of numbers. So I don't think any of these open events have had problems so far, but it, it's it's not hard to think of a, a world in which they could have problems from a bunch of bored p people deciding to disrupt proceedings. I think that segues quite nicely into a discussion about what the relative strengths of Zoom and Discord are in this space. My understanding is that one of the reasons Discord has gotten more popular recently is because they've recently introduced an awful lot of features to allow for that kind of effective moderation to be more easily implemented. And I saw that there were, to get into the Balticon, you had to agree to a code of conduct before you were allowed to enter the Balticon Discord and there were moderators who were able to step in. Um, but I think you're right that Conzealand will have a harder time with that. It will be a much bigger enterprise. But I think it's interesting that the way that 
you see the, uh, the the way that Discord can be used to facilitate that kind of code of conduct um, might be one of the reasons we're seeing that as the like spokes in between the zooms, which are the kind of panels and room parties. Um, and I think that's a really good use of the two technologies, really playing both to their strengths while minimizing their weaknesses. Discord strength being like the fact it's always there and you can always go and it's got the moderation. And Zoom strengths being that the video quality is higher. It's a lot easier to get started. Like you just click a link and it appears um, and you can do the webinar mode stuff, which is all kind of baked in. Um, very much playing to the strengths of both platforms. Yeah, I mean, I think it's quite clear that a combination of Zoom and Discord is very good for all this stuff. I mean, I haven't, I've not thought about running a party in the form of um, having the having the actual party going on in Discord with a set of video chats, but that might be a better way to run big parties. I don't know. Um, I'm still, I'm still amazed that nobody has really solved the problem of running big parties. <laughs> Given that it's been months now, and given that big parties are one of the things that humans like to do a lot. I know I just keep talking about parties all the time. Um, when we get to what I'm doing to stay sane in the pocket, it's one of the things I've been looking at is whether there are really, any really good VR party apps, because it feels like VR parties ought to be totally a thing that could solve all of these problems. But you know what? They're not. Or at least if they are, I haven't found one yet. And actually, one of the things that we were talking about on I'm almost certain it was on one of Alison's interminable Zoom parties, um, possibly after a TAF, possibly after a TAF Zoom, maybe at the London pub meeting, maybe a Thursday. Uh, they're lovely, but there are many of them and they all slightly blur into one, which I enjoy about them. Um and also, I've just Googled Interminable, and they are endless. You are always Zooming, Alison. It is 100%. That I, I do not believe you will ever stop partying. I am actually slightly less Zooming than I would like to. Um, I feel <laughs> like... I, I'm, not, I'm not running fewer events than I'd like to, but I, I kind of find I get to the beginning of weekend and goes, who's running a party this weekend? And there are never quite enough of those people. <laughs> So maybe there are great parties going on to which I am not being invited, but there probably are. But I feel like I, mean, I, I never was going to get, invite me to loads of things now. And I'm going to have to go. No, no, no. I'm too, but I would like there to be more things out there that I could just kind of drop into if I feel like it, where people will be having buzz. But I, I will say that Jerry was saying that Balticon also had a presence on Second Life where you could go and interact with people in Second Life. And I was like... And, and it gets back to what you were saying about, yeah, about VR, like... <laughs> Party like it's 1999! <laughs> Liz, do you use Second Life? Avid Second Life user? I have never used Second Life. Me neither. I used it in 1999. Was it actually 1999? I'm just checking. But yeah, no, and I think that gets back to what you were saying about, like, it would be, it sounds like what you want is a VR world where you could go and, like, more realistically interact. And then I heard that they were doing a Second Life thing, and I'm like, oh no, because I think that's the attempt <laughs> to do something like that, but I just don't think it actually works or provides that experience in any meaningful way. And hopefully one day, but not not today. But kudos to them for trying i don't think on zealand has announced their aggressive second life um utilization yet and obviously i think i speak for all three of us when i say i'm waiting with bated breath to see what they plan i am actually wrong 
apparently you can party like it's 2003. <laughs> Excellent. Octothorpe is sponsored this week by Stowe Shirts. Stowe Shirts makes political, science fictional and nerdy apparel and pin badges for a whole range of different interests. Whether it's a virtual hug badge to tell a loved one you're thinking of them, a shirt with an in-joke for SF fans or nerds, a pronoun badge to wear on your work lanyard, or a political slogan for your next protest, they're likely to have something for you. Podcast host should speak here about their personal experience with the sponsor. Um, podcast with her every week. She's quite nice. What's more, they can do custom badges and shirts, amend existing designs to suit your needs, and they're happy to work with SF conventions and fan groups to help organise their merchandise offering and reduce stress on the committee. Visit them today at stowshirts.com and use the code OCTOTHORPE for a 10% discount. We should we should talk briefly about the Nebulas and WizCon, which we I think I speak for the three of us did not attend. But Alison got some sneaky gossip before the Nebulas happened. So, um... well, it wasn't really sneaky gossip. Stephen Silver said he'd been running um, Zoom parties along the lines of the ones that I've been running for up to five hundred people. With rather, he'd been running them for up to one hundred and fifty people with a plan to run for up to five hundred on Nebula weekend. And I've heard nothing. I feel like if five hundred people had gone to a to the Nebula party, I would have heard about it, but they were probably all American science fiction authors, so maybe not. Um, but if you were at the Nebula Zoom party, do let us know how it went. So he was using the same system as we do, where you have a lot of breakout rooms, people move between them. He was doing a thing very cleverly where he put everybody into a lobby and then he had moderators in the lobby trying to divide people up into smaller rooms. I slightly worry that that leaves you with hundreds of people in the lobby and he was leaving people in the waiting room until he had a bunch of, say, six and then he'd bring them all in at once and um, give them the spiel about how it was going to work and things like that. Um, but I don't... That was all in the practice, which is what we talked about. So, Stephen, if you're listening, then that would be a great thing to know about how it went and, um, yeah, and... If you're not listening, if anyone was at the Nebula Zoom party, I really, really want to know how it went. The one thing I must say I really dislike about Zoom is the bit where you wait for the host to notice that you want to party and they eventually let you into their party. But it's, I guess, a bit like queuing to get into a room party at a world con. So it's a, a pleasing recreation of a fanish tradition. It's replicating that bit of the party where you decide to go to party and you get a drink and you sort of hang around the edge trying to work out if you know anyone at this party or if you're just going to stand around looking like you are a cool loner. It's actually <laughs> replicating the part where you're standing on the doorstep and your host has had a, has engrossed in conversation and the last thing they want to do right now is open the door. So. The other thing we did not attend was WizCon. Do Liz, do you know anything about WizCon? Yes, I have been to WizCon quite a long time ago now. Uh, 2006, and I enjoyed it. But I've never managed to go back. So I was sort of thinking about trying to go back when it was a virtual convention, but I completely failed to do so because of inertia and time zones. But they, I think they were paid as well, so I would have had to make a proper commitment to working out if I could go to things really before. You couldn't sort of dip in and out. Um, 
But it is the of the ones that were running on Memorial Day. That was the one I would quite have liked to go to. Registration for WizCon cost $10. You could pay $0 if you could not afford the $10. And they also had membership levels at $25 and $55 for those who felt able to more support the convention. So it wasn't um, it, it wasn't sort of Con Zealand levels of money, um, but it was sort of a small tip. I hadn't realised it was only $10. Um, I think I must have seen one of the higher numbers and decided I need to think about it. If it was only $10, then that is within my realm of, yep, I'll just take a plunge on that. And if I don't end up going to any of the events, well, I like WizCon and they can have my $10. Yes. No, that's, that is fair. I, 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 was, I don't know whether Balticon had a tip jar, but it does occur to me as well that you, you really need to have some sort of like PayPal or, or Drip or whatever other service um, tip jar um on your um on, on your convention website to allow people to contribute to the costs i think i'm still very much looking forward to con zealand i am i think part of the thing about the virtual trip is trying to get myself into a headspace where i really am focusing when you there's a focus thing when you decide to go to an actual convention in actual life you go right i am going off if we ever have these again i go somewhere for the weekend and i spend my weekend there and i do the convention when a, a virtual convention comes into your life you're kind of like oh i'm doing everything else i'm doing else and then also there's this convention going on and i think actually saying no i'm i'm going to block out 3 days and the convention is going to be what i do for those 3 days is a very different way to think about these and i'm not sure how many of us are doing that just yet did that make any sense? That did make sense. Because I think when I was thinking about, oh, should I try and get to any of these uh, online conventions over the Memorial Day weekend, I was thinking about it in, oh, I might dip in and out of some events if they're in the right time zone. I wasn't thinking I will take the plunge and commit my weekend to it as I normally would for a convention. Yes, I think I think that's fair. And I think that was very much the thing I did with um, Balticon was I signed up for the panels that I was interested in going to and were in the right time zone and then I didn't really think I was attending Balticon but I got to go to some cool panels which is the way I was thinking about it but I think if there was going to be a convention I usually attend happening virtually I would be taking that as a I will block the time out and do this as if I am at the convention and the next convention for which that happens is probably going to be the virtual UK Games Expo which is being held in mid-August uh, they have cancelled the physical one and they are holding a virtual one and uh, I will be thoroughly and enthusiastically attending. Oh how much does it cost and what are its dates? Uh, so it's the 21st of August um, to the 23rd of August. I have found the part on the website. Uh, we've decided to make Virtually Expo freely available to anyone who wants to join in. So there are no entry tickets, but there will be the option to donate. And some activities such as role-playing games and tournaments will still require individual tickets and will attract a small fee in order to participate. So, free to attend the sort of show floor, but perhaps small amounts of money to attend some of the events happening. They're using Twitch, Discord, Zoom, YouTube. Um, it's being sponsored by Pezo and Wayland Games and Warhammer and Catan. Um, so, big sponsors. 
I had not heard of UK Online Games Expo and because gaming conventions are one of the things that I very, very much enjoy but have had to decide are a a piece of life that is too much for me. Um, You know, I can't manage to squeeze them into my life. I'm actually extremely excited about the idea of a virtual one and um, (laughs) I might well come along to that. So that's quite exciting. It's going to be very interesting to see how some of the tournaments are run because Asmodee, which is one of the big, big board game companies in the world, has been clamping down on methods to virtually play their games in recent weeks. And it will be interesting to see how you run a tournament for a game that has no official digital client and the parent company of which has been strongly discouraging online play. So I don't know whether those will actually happen or what they will look like if they do. But, you know, which we'll games see. are Asmodee? What are that what games are they famous for, John? Uh so they do um anything with the Arkham Horror branding is Asmodee. Um anything with the Star Wars branding is Asmodee, um unless it's Hasbro. Um but there aren't any tournaments for Hasbro games. Uh, anything with Legends of the Five Rings branding, Game of Thrones branding, um, Catan is Asmodee. Um, like if it's not if it's not Hasbro and it's not Wizards of the Coast, it's probably Asmodee. It's basically how yeah. it breaks down. Ticket to Ride, Pandemic, uh, Carcassonne, Small World, Mysterium. I'm not sure they originally developed all of those, but they've sort of swallowed up some smaller companies yes. at this point. So essentially huge swathes of games are now asmodee they've been eating companies and then they recently got sold to a venture capital company and you know capitalism is is great obviously wouldn't hear a word against it but um but yeah slightly sad oh so the basis they're basically the electronic arts of board games oh geez that is a particularly good comparison which makes me very very sad alison so essentially the bit where you're starting to spend too much money on arkham horror you have no idea how that's going for you uh right let's move on (laughs) we should talk about the hugo voter packet on the subject of things which are terrific value um, I signed up for a supporting membership to Cod Zealand after the last episode of Octothorpe, and I have downloaded my Hugo Voter Packet. Alison and Liz, have you downloaded Hugo Voter Packets? I have, but it took me so long to download my Hugo Voter Packet, which is enormous. I had to have a little lie down after that, so I haven't really looked at it very much. But you have told me that it has the whole of The Wicked and the Divine in it, and I am very excited about that, because The Wicked and the Divine is an excellent graphic novel that everyone should read. Yes, it has the entire of Wickdiv, The Wicked and the Divine, and it also has the entire of Monstrous and the entire of Paper Girls in it. Um, So all of the back issues for those comics are available. And I think Liz is particularly excited. Well, I have already read all of Wickdiv as well, so I do not need that from my voter packet. Uh, I basically haven't signed up to ComZealand yet, but I am considering signing up for a supporting membership. Um, Basically, I will sign up for a supporting membership in a very mercenary way, if the amount of stuff I haven't read, which is in the voter packet, makes it seem like a worthwhile proposition, and then I basically get to vote in the Hugos as a bonus. Okay, I'm I'm going to put my grumpy old fart cap on now and go, 
I believe in the Worldcon community and I think that it is worth buying a supporting membership to the Worldcon each year, even for years in which you could not possibly travel to it because we are we are one if you can afford it obviously because people have to pay their spend their money on different things because we are one community and and having the membership every year and voting in site selection and the hugos and being part of the worldcon community is a bigger thing than any one worldcon and you understand that sometimes the worldcon will go to places that you cannot possibly get to don't go where i can't follow yeah like that i do buy supporting memberships to the Worldcon every year for exactly those reasons. The reason I bought the Zealand one very late is because I thought I had voted in site selection at San Jose, but I can find no evidence that this thought was actually based in fact or anything approaching evidence. So um, having reluctantly conceded I might not have done that, I eventually bought a supporting membership. Um, but yes, usually I vote in site selection and that gets me my supporting membership um, without me having to do anything else. Uh, but this time it does not appear to have worked, which is probably my own stupid fault. It's true. That sounds... I sound overly uh, obsessed with free stuff at this point. I have bought quite a lot of supporting memberships in various, convention, various conventions and world cons in the past. I don't know why I never got round to buying one for Con Zealand. I think it is now clear that the that the Hugo that putting your things in the Hugo but voting pack does encourage people to pay attention to them and maybe vote for them and certainly increases the chance that they will win the Hugo but probably is also quite good advertising for things generally. I worry slightly about the tendency for people to buy a by Hugo by Worldcon memberships just for the Hugo pack because it's not quite that's what gave us the sad puppies but that's what gives us a group of people who are interested in the Worldcon only for what it could provide as a reading service and and that seems a bit of a shame. Yes, I don't want to suggest that the only reason to support the Worldcon is the Hugo voter packet, but obviously the Hugo voter packet is a pretty fantastic um perk that one gets if one is in that community and i will say that i have oftentimes used the hugo voter packet as a way to try to encourage friends who are perhaps less in the world con fandom to support the world con and maybe bring them slightly more into the fandom which is i think also a kind of good carrot to use um if that makes sense it's true i i also feel that I am sufficiently embedded in Worldcon fandom and have given quite a lot of my effort in kind to Worldcons in the past that I don't feel I always need to support them with my money. That's fair. Uh, for those who don't know, Liz has deputy department headed, or sorry, no, Liz has deputy division headed at Worldcons in the past, a job which is very difficult. Alison has also deputy division headed in the past, a job which was very difficult. And I have also deputy division headed in the past, a job which was very difficult. So um, we are all speaking as deeply entrenched members of Worldcon fandom who have never been quite daft enough to rise to the position of full division head which would be insane this is where Alison is like i was division head of something and i'm like oh no why no 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 i've been area head i was area head at 1995 and 2005 and i was a ddh at 2014 and have no further intention have no 
ambitions in that direction at all. Yes, the only one of us who will ever chair a Worldcon is, of course, Liz. Oh, but I've been going down in responsibility. I've gone from deputy division head to area head to person who hangs around a bit because they know how the programming database works. So clearly my next role will be just hanging around for no reason whatsoever. Excellent. I, I think I should say that it isn't a progress. So I have been, I did area head <laughs> jobs at two UK world cons and then a DDH job. But at other world cons, I have also taken quite dull staff roles like for example the person whose job it was to inject jokes into the newsletter and, and that sort of thing that's a pretty vital role shall we move on to staying sane in the apocalypse aka allison attempts to bring the entire world to her house so what have i done i've run some more zoom parties one of the exciting things that happened this month is that facebook um, included a checkbox on events for this event is happening online, which has stopped the repeated messages that I and all my attendees were getting saying, are you really going to an event with 50 people? Don't you know that that's not allowed under the lockdown rules? So now it has a little checkbox where you can say my event is happening online. But being Facebook, I slightly worry that what Zuckerberg is doing is trying to... Because now I get a lot of advertising from Facebook about how wouldn't I be rather using Facebook's social media and Facebook's video conferencing tools, to which the answer is no. I am still using a combination of Zoom and breakout rooms because I have not yet found anything better. But I could be persuaded into um, Discord instead. And yes, I'm running big Zooms. I'm running small Zooms. I'm, I've not gone into the enormous I kind of think once you've got about 20 or 30 people that's probably enough for for me to have a, a fantastic time and there's an extent to which I don't necessarily care about anybody else and I have bought a VR rig that's why I bought an Oculus Quest I my my child stopped working for me on the completely spurious excuse that she was <laughs> studying for her finals and therefore did not have any time to <laughs> make badges for minimum wage they'll notice that she does have time to run a turnip empire on animal crossing but you know people make their own priorities i mean to be fair alison you're benefiting from the i was about to say you're benefiting i am benefiting from the, from the turnip labors, empire but obviously you're benefiting from the vegetables <laughs> <laughs> all right that's it stop the podcast episode seven we peaked there's nowhere down nowhere downhill from here Right. Um, so instead, I basically had to do all the minimum wage badge making and shipping work last month. And at the end of the month, I looked at what I thought I would have paid for the number of hours I had spent doing it. And I bought an Oculus Quest. Um, and also because I, I had said when I decided to buy nothing that I would spend my money on experiences rather than things. And if I still can't get out of my house to do anything, then clearly sticking a headset on and, and going and swimming with dolphins or or um, playing some VR game is, is as close as I can get to new experiences. And they are new experiences. It was like utterly science fictional. It was completely sensor wonder for me. Now, I mean, I, I've, I'd obviously used some VR stuff before, but there's something about the fact that it doesn't use wires. So it's just wherever you happen to be. So you can take a tiny patch of your house from which you've managed to clear clutter and then you put this headset on and suddenly you're in a, a gorgeous geodesic dome that has been tastefully furnished by somebody else and, and you go oh I can see how we might all be doing this um, and um, it's equal parts of oh my god this is a really futuristic feeling and oh my god the world as I know it is going to collapse I look at what has happened 
between when I bought my Nintendo Game and Watch in 1980 and the Oculus Quest, and I extrapolate forward, and I'm like, <laughs> we are going to get to the point where where real life does not necessarily have a lot to offer that is better than these systems. It is the opinion of the Octothought podcast that we should all live in small pods plugged into some sort of central computer where we socialise without risk of pandemic. And is this how the Matrix starts, Alison? Is this how the Matrix starts? That was literally where I got to. I was like, I can see a world where actually people do this an enormous amount. And that's the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was kind of weird. That was a very weird feeling. And, and, and yet, when you sort of go, well, if, say, Facebook's creating avatars now, and you can see that one of the reasons that Facebook's creating avatars is if you want to do something that's like Second Life but works, getting people to have realistic, consistent avatars for themselves is one of the ways in which you make that happen. So you go into your virtual space and you go, oh, yeah, that's John, because I recognise his avatar. And yes. and this is all quite the weird thing. And but but you're you know, when you're saying, well, we can't actually go to see I still can't see my family. And I feel like there's going to, there's going to be attractions to this sort of thing. Oh, also, Beat Saber is a lot of fun. Beat Saber is, is fun. Beat Saber is the only VR game I have played. And I like rhythm games because they're the only games I'm actually any good at. Every other game, I have to put it on easy mode and die a lot. And Beat Saber is just like, yep, yeah, I'm going to go for this. And it's, it's fine, although hard work. So Beat Saber is great. Have you played any other VR games? Because do they make, and someone should have made this, a sort of like Matrix crossed with Half-Life crossed with Inception style game where you can do the Matrix and run up walls and reshift reality? I think my feeling about games, Beat Saber is fine, but Beat Saber feels to me like a tech demo rather than a game. I feel like we are... So there's a set of games that are coming out now that are set in the Star Wars universe where you get to run around with a lightsaber. Um, but I feel like we are only at the very beginning of of exploring what you can do with this game space. There is a game called Super Hot VR, which people talk about, where you only move the 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 bad guys only move when you do you're in a kind of weird matrix like environment there and you and and there is bullet time so as long as you're not moving the bullets aren't moving and if you start to move then the bullets move and that is quite freaky and it also is quite intense when they talk about intense vr experiences they mean they mean roller coasters they mean things that set off your balance um so it's not intense in that way at all but it's, i found it intense in a gaming way um i am five foot tall and it didn't seem to have any height adjustment so these guys that were coming towards me but only when i moved were much bigger than i was and that was quite freaky i'm not i've only played the demo and i'm not saying i won't buy it but it felt like um and i've heard other people talking about vr and saying that some of the really intense first person shooter games are not working for them because it is just all too much so other people really like that sort of stuff 
but it's just early days, early days for all this stuff. And and there is a game called Star Trek Bridge Command, I think, that Ming pointed me at. Ming has a headset. Ming is in New Zealand. Ming and I could play. This is a cooperative game where you work with other people on the bridge of the Enterprise or some some Federation starship in order to solve problems. And I haven't actually played it yet, but, but that's something that feels to me the sort of thing that I am actually looking for, which is cooperative games in VR between people who are not not um, located in the same space in the real world, for your for th- you know to make up for a thing like board game, like I like cooperative game gaming generally. There's apparently a version of Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, which is a game which my family has played endlessly to the death. We have absolutely wrung all the love out, all the possible joy out of this game at this point. But apparently there's a VR version of that so that one of you is sitting with headphones and the quest and the the the, the VR set on tr- with the bomb in front of you and actually physically manipulating it and the other people are sitting with the decoding the, the decoding manual trying to tell you what to do. Um so but I have not played that either. So I've played a bit of Beat Saber and I've done a few I've done some things like I have done some VR. Um, I have played the Star Wars VR game on PlayStation 4, and it made me feel a little bit queasy. I had to spend some time looking very fixedly at a planet in the distance in order to avoid feeling very queasy. Um, So I am... And, but I'm very much looking forward to VR becoming a bigger thing because one of the things I really am finding very difficult about the apocalypse is that I have a weekly role play in which we do quite a lot of highly cooperative storytelling. And part of the problem with Zoom and Discord and all of these things is that it's very difficult to... Um, pick up on other people's social cues in a week in a way that means that everyone can join in without having to sort of go round the room pointing at people saying now it's your turn now it's your turn because louder voices dominate and quieter voices find it difficult to get a look in and this can really disrupt the dynamic so i'm very much looking forward to vr as a mechanism for role-playing games because i think i hope that vr will be a better way of doing that that doesn't fall prey to the same problems that video chatting uh, falls prey to so i am sort of optimistic and hopeful about the potential for vr chatting as a replacement for video chatting um but i i don't know what time scale that's a realistic um proposition on 20 years like uh like nuclear fusion right it's 20 years away no it, it i think it depends really on how pandemic goes because if we are still here in a year um not really going to the pub then i think at that point a lot of this stuff will have happened because there will be so infinitely much money in it i also did see and i've been looking for the link for ages which is why i've been super quiet uh someone developed a sort of top-down 2d chat room idea where you wander about a 2d space and you can talk through your microphone and people who are closer to you can hear what you're saying more clearly and people who are further away hear you less clearly and you can wander around an actual kind of physical space talking and it replicates a bar in 2d and i'm looking for the link and the name of this and i cannot find it it's very frustrating uh, if I do find out, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but so they've got to get the, the problem with all of these systems at the moment is that they have to get over the the level of adequacy that we've 
established now with with the Zoom and the breakout rooms, which is clearly not that adequate, but it's still a lot better than a lot of these systems are quite managing yet. And the other thing about the VR rig that I was going to say is that although my house is not small, really, it's got five adults in it. And I've been, and I don't think of myself as the world's greatest introvert, but (laughs) when I put on We don't think of you as the world's greatest introvert either. No, you're a terrible introvert, Alison. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. But when I put the quest on, I'm alone in a way that I never am in my own house at the moment. And I quite like that. Uh, It's quite isolating and I have been missing feeling, as as odd in a time of self-isolation, I have been missing feeling actual time alone to do things I want to do in comfortable spaces because my house is not that many comfortable spaces and they're all full. The name of the service I was thinking of is Kala and I will put a link in the show notes. It is C-A-L-L-A. Is this a thing you're planning to use on your virtual guff trip, Alison? I am hoping that I will be able to do some of my tours virtually. I have a really whizzy idea that I am going to... um, do VR stuff whilst whilst streaming whilst streaming it to Twitch, streaming both the VR stuff and me using using Twitch streaming tools, which I already use a little bit, and so that people will be able to come along and watch me swim in swim off the Great Barrier Reef in real time or or something, and that will be hilarious. Please get in touch for recommendations for ways we can support and learn about the Black Lives Matter movement and also BAME people in the UK and in the community in the UK in general. And please also write in with your experiences of virtual conventions. We would love to hear from you. Thank you to Stow Shirts for supporting our podcast this week. That was the seventh episode of the Octothought podcast. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. (laughs) It's goodbye from me. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. Is this the point where I can say that Lillian and Christina are hoping to do a podcast? And when they first told me about this, or rather when Lillian first told me about this, I said, "Um, but you'll have to find someone to do all the work. And they have now found Ian Sorensen, I believe. Um, So he is investigating other podcasts, which is how he's paying attention to John's microphone. So I'm very much looking forward. I am waiting with bated breath for that podcast to appear in my podcast feed. I will be listening avidly. Yes, no no pressure, obviously. The fact that we've announced it doesn't have any ramifications for whether it has to happen. <laughs> uh, and Alison's decision to do that was entirely her own. Um, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, well, I think, you know, one of the things I always liked about fanzines back in the day was that they could be... Relentless piss takes? You know, a little bit edgy about the the community and the things the community were getting up to. <laughs> and That's I fair. feel like we should capture some of that flavour in our podcast. <laughs> More antagonism. Um. I do feel if I was going to pick some adjectives to describe our podcast, edgy would be 
quite a long way down the list. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I maybe don't mean edgy. Are you are you indicating that you think three middle class white people doing a podcast are not exactly. at the forefront of edge? We talk about things we like, Liz. What could be more edgy than this? <laughs> My nineteen-year-old son did call me an edge lord this week. <laughs> Right, well, we're going to come back to that later, 100%. And I was like, what do you mean by edgelord, oh, dear. dear? And he explained, and I, said, and I said, you mean like Kylo Ren? And he said, yes. Oh, dear. Oh, Alison. I, I, and yes. I said, that, that's, that's unfair. Mm-hmm. I said, what I actually said was, that's unfair. Whash, 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 whash. But we'll come back to that. Uh, I would like to reassure people that Alison was miming uh, destroying a control console with a lightsaber and not miming beating her children. Uh, That's important to note. The context of the video was uh, key in that particular interaction. Before we descend. Lightsaber noises are terrible. (laughs) Yeah, everyone knows it goes vroom. Exactly. 